0: Comfort me, Lord, and pay my bills. Comfort me, Lord, and cure my ills. Comfort me, Lord, and remove my fears. Comfort me, Lord, and dry my tears. Comfort me, Lord, and increase my wealth. Comfort me, Lord, and preserve my health. Comfort me, Lord, and plead my case. Comfort me, Lord, and enlarge my place. Comfort me, Lord, and tell me why Comfort me, Lord, and set me on high. Comfort me, Lord, and do what I say. Comfort me, Lord, and do it today. The Spirit listened as I uttered my mind. He said not a word as I pleaded and pined. And then he spoke in the language of conviction, saying, comfort isn't comfort in the absence of affliction. From the exile... In a foreign land, God's people yearned for his comfort. And when their time of discipline had expired or had accomplished its purpose, God broke his silence with words that they all longed to hear. Isaiah chapter 40 reads thus, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God, every valley shall be raised up, Every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers." And the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. God offers comfort for those who are suffering. Long, long before I owned a car, I had to make a very important three-quarters of a mile horseshoe shaped trip from my school to the TBN relay station that was on our island. And so in my teenage pea-brain head, I concluded that if I jumped over the 10-acre property, the fence of the 10-acre property that was owned by the governor of the island, if I jumped over that, I could make a beeline straight to the relay station and get there within a couple of minutes. What I hadn't considered was that this was the governor's residence and that it had 24-hour surveillance. And so I'm walking all the way, and get, I got all the way to the top of the hill, and just as I was about to jump over the other fence, uh, a voice called out, young man, come over here. It was a police officer who was standing in the shade. And then he said to me, I want you to go all the way back down the hill and jump back over the fence in the very same place where you jumped over the first time. Needless to say, I wasted a whole lot of time, and I still had to walk this horseshoe quarter of a mile trip. If only I had not tried to take a shortcut. If God has ever disciplined you for your obedience, you will be able to relate to the people in our story today. After repeated warnings, from the mouths of God's prophets. They still disobeyed God, choosing to take shortcuts. And the result was that they received from the Lord's hand what appeared to be double discipline for their disobedience, because their country was invaded by a fearsome army, the Babylonians, and they were ruthless. They destroyed their magnificent temple, set their houses and farms afire and took them into exile in a land far away where they were exposed to strange gods, strange laws, strange customs. And they were subjected to 70 years of hard labor. I wonder if there's a lesson in there for somebody this morning. Disobedience brings discipline. To obey is better than to suffer for disobedience. And so this suffering in a foreign land was was terrible enough, but God's silence during that 70-year period of suffering was even worse. Until 70 years later, God finally broke his silence with these words, comfort, comfort my people speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double, that is, double discipline for all of their sins. But whenever you mess up, what you need to hear from your spouse, your parents, your teacher, your friend, your children, God even, is not I told yourself." So. That's not what we want to hear at all. It would be best to have their empathy, their tenderness, their comfort, and their forgiveness, no matter how wrong you were when you offended them. And so after 70 years of God's double discipline for their sins, they needed to hear from God words of comfort, tenderness, and forgiveness. And that is what they heard from the mouth of this prophet, the prophet Isaiah. Comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to them. What a picture of a loving God. You will never find any greater and better picture of God's tenderness and comfort than here. I wonder if I'm speaking to somebody this morning who needs to hear God's words of tenderness, compassion, compassion, and comfort. For those of you who delight in um, the Peanuts cartoons, I'm told that um, Snoopy, he was sitting outside in a winter storm, shivering from the cold, and Linus and Charlie Brown happened to pass by and see him. There is Snoopy, Linus shouted. Let's go over and cheer him up. And so they walked over to Snoopy and said to him, hey, Snoopy, Be of good cheer. And then they walked off, leaving Snoopy in the same condition that they found him. And for some reason, they were satisfied in their minds that by just saying, cheer up, that they had, in fact, cheered him up. Now, that is not the kind of comfort that God offers us in our suffering, even when our suffering is the result of our own disobedience. God is a father who offers his children the comfort of tender words and loving actions. Which brings us to our second point. God requires preparation for his coming. God will not only send us comforting words, but he wants to comfort us in person with his presence. He wants us to intentionally for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And so God had faithfully, faithfully called his peoples to the voice of prophets like Isaiah. And in this particular um, sense, Isaiah likened the coming Messiah to a tender shoot. If you read Isaiah chapter 11, you'd see that. He compares the coming Messiah to a tender shoot that would emerge from the stump of Jesse. The Spirit of the Lord would rest upon him, Isaiah said. And so Isaiah chapter 11, the first couple of verses read like this. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will make the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. So he was going to be a shoot, Isaiah says that would emerge from the stump of Jesse, the the least of his sons, David. And upon him, the Spirit of the Lord would rest in so many forms, wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge, righteousness. Secondly, God had also faithfully called his people through the voice of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And Jeremiah likened the coming Messiah to a righteous branch, branch from a tree, under which his people would find shade and protection. And so Jeremiah says this, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior, a branch under whose shade people can find protection. God also faithfully called his people through the voice of the prophet Micah. And Micah declared that the Messiah would emerge as a ruler over all Israel, even though he would come from the tiniest clan of Israel. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient time. Somebody says, Do not despise small things because out of small things and small tribes and small clans can come something great, someone great. Finally, God also faithfully called his people through the voice of John the Baptist, who declared him to be the Holy One whose shoes he would not be able to untie, the strings of his shoes, his sandals, he would not be able to untie. John chapter 1, verses 23 to 27 John says, quoting Isaiah, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Now, all of these announcements, all of them demand Preparation. And so Isaiah commanded God's people to prepare a way in the desert, a highway, if you will, for the Lord. And John the Baptist bookends Isaiah's call by saying, make straight the way for the Lord. So we ask ourselves the question this morning, how must we, hearing this, prepare or make a highway for the king who is coming? Well, I think that we do that by making the kinds of spiritual preparations that approximate the infrastructural ones that a country makes for a visiting dignitary. I remember that when Queen Elizabeth and her husband, Prince Philip, were making the first and only trip to the island of Nevis 40 years ago, where I'm from, I remember that that the government, began to make all kinds of feverish plans to make sure that every pothole um, was was, um, filled up and uh, walls were whitewashed to kind of hide some of the graffiti. All kinds of preparations were made for their visit. I believe that this is how we must also prepare for the coming King of Kings, because look at what it says. Isaiah says that we must make straight the way for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together. So, What that tells me this morning is that whatever obstacle between you and your obedience to God, whatever obstacle that there is, must be removed. Whatever preparation you need to make in anticipation of Christ's coming to your souls must be made. Here's what um, Matthew Henry writes. I quote him. He says, Get into such a frame of mind and spirit as will make you disposed to receive Christ and his gospel. I think no injunction is more timely this Christmas season than this. Get into such a frame of mind and spirit as will make you disposed to receive Christ and his gospel. So let's unpack a little bit of what Isaiah was talking about when he asked us to prepare. I believe that he's saying to us that we must prepare our hearts for him. Straighten out every crooked way that is contrary to the highway of holiness so that he may get straight to you. Straighten out every obstacle. Raise every valley of unworthiness in which you hide out so that he may get straight to you. Dismantle every hill of affection that that obstructs his coming so that he may get straight to you. Smooth out every rough and rugged territory that hinders his travel so that he may get straight to you. Make a highway for God so that he may travel on that highway and get straight to you. I believe that the valleys in our text represent people who are dejected, depressed, and despondent. Let every head that is bowed down in dejection, depression, or despondency be raised up to welcome him. I believe that the hills represent those who are proud of their own merit and worth. Let every proud head be bowed low in humility before him. I believe that the intractable and rough places represent people whose hearts have become hardened by crookedness and deceit. Let every crooked and deceitful way be straightened out and made plain so that nothing hinders the glory of the Lord from being revealed this Christmas. Do you see how much preparation you and I need to make this Christmas? It's a lot of preparation. And the irony is that many people will miss this kind of preparation as they engage in other kinds of preparations. And yet this is what is warranted as we go through this Christmas season. This is the kind of preparation. Thirdly and finally, I believe that God desires rejoicing over his caring. He says see the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. And he gently leads those who have young. Let's look at these two very unique sides of the God who is coming. First of all, Isaiah tells us that he is the sovereign Lord who comes in power and he rules in might. And as such, there's no one who can stand before him to oppose him. When God comes in power and in might, I don't care who you are, you cannot stand in opposition to him lest he crush you. That's the first sight of God that we see in our text. And if that side scares you, and it should, not to make you afraid, but to invoke fear for the awesome presence and power of God. If that that side makes you afraid, let's look at the other side. The other side is a loving shepherd who tends his flock, who leads them beside quiet waters, who makes them lie down in green pastures, if you quote Psalm 23, who protects them with his staff, who gathers the young in his arms, who holds them close to his heart. And he gently cares for those who are pregnant with little ones. Now, Can you find a more caring God? I don't think you can. I think both sides of God must be held in tension. The one that is fearsome and awesome and powerful and destructive, but also the one who is gentle, who speaks tenderly, who gathers you in his arms, and who takes care even of those who are pregnant with little ones. And so you can rejoice in the good shepherd's care of you. That is a point that is being made, that he is a caring shepherd, and he wants you to rejoice in his caring. And so no matter how beaten down you may feel, by life's burdens, problems, pain, and care, you can know that there is a God who cares for you. You can rejoice in God's care. I'm told that two robins were having a conversation. No, it must have been in spring because the robins are not out anymore. So, But they were having this conversation with each other. And this conversation was about, was about how we as human beings are prone to worry about life. We get all flustered about life. And these two robins were talking amongst, uh, talking uh, with each other about that. And here's what one said to the other. "The other. It, it must be that they don't know that they have a father like ours who feeds and cares for them. Imagine a conversation with two robins chastising us as human beings. But not realizing that just as they are cared for by their Heavenly Father, we have a Father who cares for us as well. Bottom line, God's children can take comfort in the God of all comfort. That's how he's described. God's children, that would be you and and I, we can take comfort no matter what our, our situation is this morning. We can take comfort in the God of all comforts. I have two application points real quick. First of which is this. Prepare your heart for Jesus. We talked earlier about the preparation, the kind of preparation that is required, the kind of preparation that approximates what we do when some royal dignitary is visiting, or maybe even when somebody is visiting our home. We make all kinds of preparations. And I came across a prayer, and I wish I'd actually highlighted it or maybe projected it this morning, but I'll read it for you. It says this, dear God, enlighten what's dark in me, strengthen what's weak in me, Mend what's broken in me. Straighten what's crooked in me. Bind what's bruised in me. Heal what's sick in me. And lastly, revive whatever peace and love has died in me. I wonder if there's anyone this morning who needs to pray that prayer with your heads bowed, and your eyes closed. I'm going to read that prayer again as you pray along in your own heart with me. Whatever your situation, and whatever you identify with, just allow the prayer, the truth of this prayer to resonate with you. Dear God, enlighten what's dark in me. Strengthen what's weak in me. Mend what's broken in me. Straighten what's crooked in me. Bind what's bruised in me. Heal what's sick in me. And lastly, revive whatever peace and love has died in me. I believe that that is the greatest preparation that you can make as you approach the Christmas season. Secondly, I want to challenge you to seek the comfort of God's words and presence. Seek the comfort of God's words and presence. If you turn to Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, verses 3 to 4, you'll find these words written. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted of God. There's hardly a funeral service that I preach at that doesn't include these words, because nowhere else in Scripture, I think, would you find a God, or find a reference to a God who comforts, like you find in these verses. Now some of you this morning, you may be experiencing the discomfort of God's discipline because of something you did that you ought not have done. I want to say to you this morning that if that is your case, there is comfort for that. Some of you may be experiencing the discomfort of grief over the recent loss of somebody that you really loved. I want to say to you this morning from God's word that there is comfort for that too. Some of you may be experiencing the discomfort of depression over which you have no control. There is comfort for that as well. I do not believe that God would have been called the Father of all compassion and the God of all comfort if he couldn't comfort you in every single one of your afflictions. And so if that is the case, with your heads bowed, will you ask for God's comfort, and will you by faith receive it today? God, we are all to some degree or another in need of your comfort. Some of us are wounded, broken, distressed, grief-stricken, fearful. How we long for a shepherd, a good shepherd to Come alongside us, Lord, and to hold us in His arms and to speak words of tenderness and compassion over us. Not to accuse us or condemn us, but to express empathy, compassion, and forgiveness. God, we pray over your people this morning. We thank you that you are such a God and you are such a shepherd you know how to minister to the needs of your sheep, let none of us today escape your care and protection and blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.